and welcome to Conversations with Sports Fans. I'm your host, Doug Hill, and in this episode, I'm blessed to be joined by James Brown, a journalist and podcaster with bylines from the USA Today, NPR, PBS, and WXXI. A resident of the Rochester, New York area, you can find James online at jamesbrowntv.substack.com. Again, jamesbrowntv.substack.com. James, welcome to Conversations with Sports Fans. Thanks for having me, Doug. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, you know, you and I have never met before, and I have found that some of my best conversations have been with folks who I really don't have a lot of background with. So I'm really looking forward to to learning what it's like to be a sports fan in upstate New York. Oh, <laughs> it, it's an interesting one. I'm sure that it is. Um, but with that, do you have any early memories of, of maybe when you became a sports fan or early recollections of some inklings that you might be a sports fan? I actually have both. So I'll start with the inklings. So I remember watching Michael Jordan in the early 90s. At that point, I was, I had to be six, seven, eight. And seeing the Gatorade commercials, you know, and wanting to be like Mike and and um, being drawn to watching him um, back then, I remember seeing the NBA Finals. I believe it had to be the 92 Finals because he, they were playing the uh, the Trailblazers. And, and just sort of being enthralled, uh, as I think a lot of us were, by just the 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 grace the flamboyance and and um and and you know i was just taken by it at the same time i remember the 92 olympics sure and and being you know like I, i'm a broadcaster as you mentioned um and you know i was fascinated by bob costas and um, and Marv Albert and Dan Hicks and uh, Dick Enberg, the NBC guys, mostly uh, coming out of sports. They had a murderer's role. Tom Hadden, Hammond was in that group too. Like it was just just great broadcasters, great production. Um, they knew how to turn up the drama uh, in a way that that most broadcasters don't. Uh, most broadcasters have like a, a like a they have a specialty. Uh, ESPN is great at turning things into soap operas. Uh, CBS is fantastic at sort of the presentation of the game, and NBC, especially in the nineties, was excellent at sort of. Making you feel like this game, whether it was a regular season game or a pro, or, or a postseason game, was the most important thing that's happening in the world right now, and you had to be here right now with us. I certainly felt that, but that's not the thing that I think made me a sports fan. It, it made me it, curious. Yeah, the thing that truly made me a sports fan was the first Super Bowl party I went to, which was at my house with my older brothers. Watching the Buffalo Bills lose to the to the Washington Redskins, or the formerly Washington Redskins, sure. Um, and I remember that party. I remember us getting chips and dip and uh, and salsa and um, and um, having wings and all sorts of stuff. And we sat there. And we didn't do this a lot. I don't think we ever did it again as a family. But we sat there and watched as it was a tight game till halftime. I still remember Joe Gibbs. Not Joe Gibbs. Who do I remember? I'm not sure who said it, but someone picked the Bills to come back and win. And then it was a blowout city. So, um, certainly... That's, I mean, I, I love your take on the different networks and how they present things. And I think that even translates to 
even the news production, not even sports. It just goes sure. across the board. Each one has kind of their own little niche. And I, and I found myself perhaps favoring some over others. Mm-hmm. And you're spot on, I think, with regards to how they, they handle the sports production. And and you're right. You know, I, I hadn't really given a lot of thought. But back in the 90s, those Olympics broadcasting teams were incredibly well-constructed uh, with talent that, you know, just, you know, they're they're all Hall of Famers, really, without a doubt. In, in what they do. And, yeah, I would think for a, a, a youngster like yourself in that era that that was some pretty heady stuff. Was that what seeing that and and, and, and experiencing that as, as a youngster, especially with regards to the dream team and everything else that went along with it in 92, was that part of what led you down the path of wanting to get into some broadcasting? Part of it. Like I was a, I was always sort of a fascinated by the voices on radio and, and the voices on TV. And I felt like even at a really young age that I, I was gonna, going to be on TV or I was going to be on the radio. I'm fortunate enough that I've been able to do both. But it was only part of it. I I, I thought that um, my goal was to, as you can probably tell so far, I love to talk and I can talk all day. And the idea of talking for a living was just captivating to me. And it just sort of, and sports was one angle. And it's one angle that I probably should have gone down further. And maybe I still will. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. But sports was certainly attractive in that, in that that they saw something new and they were presenting it to a bunch of people they didn't know. I always thought that was really cool, that they were talking to millions of people at once that had no idea what their personality was like. Even as a youngster, I was like, wow, that's really weird. Like, I I don't know what Bob Costas is like at lunch. I think we have a better sense of that now just because he's he's been interviewed and sort of been and, and sort of but even in an interview, you really don't know. But you get you get a sense that that, you know, of kind of who he is more now than you did back then. Yeah, of course. Um, you referenced the Bills. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I know it's not been easy to be a Bills fan, but I would imagine just by the nature of proximity and by the way the NFL does its business that you are almost obligated to be a Bills fan. Uh, is that accurate? Without a doubt. Um, of course, you know, as I was telling a friend the other day, it, you know, it is better to have been to the Super Bowl and lost than to have never been. So for me here in Detroit, you know, we can probably hang the placard out front that we've never been. Um, but but what has it been like to be a, a Buffalo Bills fan through the years? This is a long answer. We got time. I'll break it up into pieces. During those early years, you know, becoming a Bills fan during the Super Bowl run, you felt like a manifest destiny. Even as a young child, you just thought like, hey, this happens every year. It's I think Patriots fans must have felt the same way. Bulls fans must have felt... The way that way in the 90s, you know, uh, Lakers fans, maybe in the early 2000s and in the 80s and really forever. But, you know, like it seems like there's was like this thing that you you. You thought that they were, you know, like it was something that was entitled. And I think you're as a fan early on, you feel like, man, it's just going to happen. Tim Kelly's just going to go lead them to the Super Bowl. Thurman Thomas got one of the best defensive ends ever, you know, like, it's going to be great. Everything's awesome. And then things fall apart. They're still really good in the, in the, in the mid-90s. Really good. They won more games in the 1990s than any other team. But you start to realize that, oh, 
Things aren't quite the way they used to be. Jim Kelly retires. Marv Levy retires. You start seeing things sort of like fray. You know, they're still good, kind of good. And then, but, but, you know, so like it was cool. You got the Sea Tunes play in the January every year. But you, you're the Wobegon, you know, us, you know, like you said, uh, your, your Lions, the, the Vikings, um, the Eagles in the, of the early 2000s, you know, only a few franchises kind of know what it's like to be so good and be so close. The Chargers as well. That's another one, you know. Yeah. Be so close and yet so far. And then you sort of, you kind of drift away. And I remember early on in the in the in the um in the aughts when um after um well I'll, I'll back up a bit. I remember uh as a teenager I'm watching the uh the Tennessee Titans Buffalo Bills wildcard playoff game. And it looks like Rob Johnson, you know, has finally, you know, like fulfilled this promise that the, that the team were was hoping for and Doug Flutie was vanquished. You know, where he, he makes this amazing, I just remember clear as day, this amazing play that he makes where he loses a shoe and somehow makes an amazing completion. And it leads them back to, to kick the game-winning field goal. It then came home run throwback. Frank Wycheck, I still think it was in illegal play, it was terrible. It was terrible. It was a terrible play. It was illegal. But I remember stomping and screaming and being nearly in tears. And it was clear that something had changed. I didn't realize how bad it was going to get. But Came, here came 17 years of mediocrity. You know, it was, uh, you know, um, I guess it, it was the, uh, I think of the, the of Exodus, you know, the uh, in being stuck in the desert in, in wandering through coach after coach and quarterback after quarterback, E.J. Manuel. Ugh. And, uh, ugh. Ugh, E.J. Manuel. <laughs> J.P. Lossman. Trent Edwards. You know, Tyrod Taylor, who's actually the best of the drought era quarterbacks. Tyrod Taylor was. Sounds like a Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks you really would not like to have. Absolutely. I mean, look, it's it was just. Uh, you end up drifting into this sort of. Sadness of quarterbacks and bad coaches and. Oh, we had Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan era was terrible. Um, and it was, you know, it, even worse than terrible. Like, I, I'd be, I'd rather have terrible. We had mediocrity. We were a guaranteed six-win team for most of that, 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 those two decades. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was enough to give you some optimism only to fall apart. And I think it, that was not only reflective of that era, it was reflective of that really that first game I remember watching. It was enough to give you optimism only to fall apart. And so that was that was brutal. And then eventually uh, came Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. Uh, they hired uh, Rex Ryan and, and Doug Whaley are vanquished. And the best day of my sports fan life when the drought ended down in Miami. And it was a gorgeous, gorgeous day. I've I've rewatched that play a million times. Um, you know, it wasn't even something the Bills did. They 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 crushed the Dolphins, but it was more that pass from Andy Dalton to Tyler Boyd, ironically. And and um and just cheering and screaming my head off and just being so, you know, just amazed. And then driving around the next day, 
live streaming WGR in Buffalo and listening to, you know, that's our, our uh, that's uh, the Buffalo sports radio station. And they did this thing. When the big things happen, they do this thing called Sports Thunder. Okay. Where they just go live and local and take calls all day. And, you know, listening to, to men cry, grown men cry as, you know, millionaires make the playoffs. <laughs> um, and um, it just being like, uh, just a dog, I couldn't turn it off. Um, it, there was a blizzard here uh, that day, too. And um, I remember driving around, driving around and, and during it. And then uh, came Josh Allen and, you know, Cole Beasley and and uh, John Brown and Tredavious White and eventually Stefan Diggs. And this this upswing of optimism with similar crushing moments. And I, I, you know, as a as a long, long time, I guess three decade. I I can't believe this. I'm three decade Bill fan, Bills fan. You can't help but think maybe we're stuck in a loop. But um, yeah, that's what it's been like the last three decades. Wow, um, all the feels, as they say, right? Totally. <laughs> um, you know, we we hear a lot about in the wider sports universe about the, the, uh, the concept of the bills mafia. Yes. Is it real? And, and, and what type of a cultural thing is that? I mean, is it palpable as you're um, in and around that region of the state? Is it something that you can feel um, or is it something that just only kind of surfaces when there is a need for it to surface? It is definitely real. Yeah. Um, it's a thing that started on Twitter. Um, Bill Reed, famously, one of the founders, um, and he ended up creating this great shirt sh- uh, company that I that I bought a lot of shirts from myself. Twenty six shirts, um, and and um, and I think the origins of that company says a lot about what Bill the Mafia is. It those shirts, a percentage of those shirts are given to charity. So every every purchase goes to charity, and every week there's a new design, and with a new design comes a person, or 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 foundation, you know that they're going to support with your purchase part of it, and I think that says a lot about the whole thing. It's sort of it's part of it's the the crazy fandom, the dudes who jump through the tables, the uh the 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 people who are doused with ketchup and mustard. Um, in the in the parking lots, um, the rowdy people who who bring their campers into the RV lot two days before games, like it's a college football game. There is uh, uh, there is uh, a rowdiness, uh, an aggressiveness, and and a, and, a, and a joy uh, to being a Bills fan and and being a part of Bills Mafia in particular. At the same time, there's this sort of charitableness that I don't know if that's common among every Bills. Every fan of sports, I don't know if it's if it's normal or not. I have no idea. Maybe it is. You tell me. But it definitely is. There's this, there's this, these comments, there's wildness in this sort of, uh, just sort of, uh, this giving personality. And throughout the region, there's this sort of, you know, if you, if you see someone in Bill's gear, you say go bills and go and 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 they'll say go bills, like it comes right back. It's it, it is uh, um it it is palpable. It is it is it is it is everywhere. It ramps up in football season. It, it in that um you know in my parts I, I live in about an hour from Buffalo, um Rochester, New York is home of uh our trade of uh, the Buffalo Bills training camp. So that's where we get like we we have our. It starts to bubble here. And then I, at my times where I've lived, I went to school north of Buffalo and I um, I lived in Buffalo for a little bit. And you could feel the wins and losses. <laughs> it was 
it, it, it it's the kind of thing that surrounds you and engulfs you and sort of you're swallowed in whether you're a Bills fan or not and and that is the is the vibe the the um the breadth and depth of the Bills mafia fascinating and I mean, I think you asked the question, is that common in other fan bases? And I, and while I have no doubt that there are Lions fans that, you know, organize and do some charitable types of things, not to the extent that we have read about nationally about, you know, the, the Buffalo fan base. It's certainly at this point is the stuff of, I guess, legend um, and and is really fascinating as an outsider to see because I while there might be, and I'm not a, a diehard ardent Lions fan, I will certainly tune in. I have a passing interest. I've been excited for the past, you know, 10 weeks or so after at the end of last season. And, and certainly the draft um, was enjoyable to to see what general manager Brad Holmes and the rest of the staff were doing. But I mean, I, I couldn't tell you there are others that are far more ingrained in it and and maybe there are some things similar to what happens in buffalo but i'm not aware of it and it certainly doesn't permeate the way it sounds like it does in your part of the state which brings me to another question um because new york is such a vast expanse um what is kind of the line of demarcation in that state in terms of geography where where do Buffalo fans begin to maybe wane and it becomes um you know either jets or giants or or Patriots as you get further, you know, East, is there, is there, I'm not trying to give you the heebie-jeebies James, but, but certainly there has to be some, you know, what does that look like from a geographical standpoint? Syracuse would be roughly the dividing line that I can think of off the top of my head. Okay. Syracuse is a very uh, more jet Ville, you know, um, than, and there's definitely Bills fans in Central New York for sure, but uh, that that would certainly be one of the lines. I I look at Syracuse on a, on a map, and I would draw uh, a line there. Generally, I mean it's not an, an exact science, um, but yeah, I'd say about thereabouts. Okay, and um, I wouldn't say that any part of New York is Patriot country. I don't think that's. I wouldn't yeah. say that. No, not even like, like east of Albany, nothing over there, you know, on the Massachusetts would, border. No. Not that I not that I know of. Maybe 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 I, I just don't know about it, but uh the Jets and Giants are, are very popular in that part of the state. Okay. Fair enough. Um you reference Syracuse, so you have a you know, a, now an ACC school for many years a, a big east school in, in kind of mm -hmm. your backyard. How far uh, from Syracuse, are you? About an hour. About an hour. Um, was, is that, you know, who you followed in terms of college sports? Would you have been a, a Syracuse fan? Without a doubt. Yeah. We, yeah. we, go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. Finish up. In New York State, there aren't many D1 programs. The Buffalo Bulls, University of Buffalo, sort of have emerged in the last roughly 20 years. I don't remember exactly when they went D1. So there's not a whole lot of D1 football around, even though it it's a football mad area. So it's kind of weird. I would have thought that it would have, you know, the other universities would have invested in it, but not really. So Syracuse sort of became the de facto university of the state. You know, uh, that, that um, so I remember watching the, the Orangemen in the 90s under Paul Pascaloni and um, eventually watching young Donovan McNabb and watching him him play uh, both football and basketball. There was a Rochester native named by the name of John Wallace, who, who was, uh, I believe he was drafted by the New York Knicks. And I remember watching highlights of him in high school and seeing him go play for Syracuse in, in basketball. And that was, you know, thrilling. And I was sort of became a massive, you know, I'd say massive. Massive is probably, I, I don't think it's on, on quite on par with my Bills fandom. I, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't say it's in, but I, I'm a, I, I follow them relatively closely. And 
I, I think in this area, Syracuse, there's a lot of Syracuse alumni in this area. And there's also, you know, a lot of people are just fans of Syracuse sports because that was the premier and has been the premier Division One sports team teams in the area. Yeah, well, especially for football, as you said, you know, I, is there another Division One besides Buffalo? Is there another Division One football program in the state? Even I don't think so. Yeah. I could be wrong, yeah. but I don't think so. So, I mean, Syracuse, if you're looking for something to do on Saturday and you're a sports fan, it's probably the Orangemen. Yeah, yeah, in terms of football, for sure. Basketball is sure. a little bit different. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, like even even my university, Niagara, you know, has a D1 team. You know, St. Bonaventure um, uh, has, a, has a slew of fans, a slew of um, also um, graduates in, in, in our part of the world as well. But, it, but Syracuse basketball was you know much larger much stronger than all of them yeah um it what was i mean how long was Bayheim there oh we're talking like half a century close yeah i mean with his playing days and then everything all together he was certainly there well over 40 years i believe yeah he was only he only left for a little bit and 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 came right back and ended up taking over the team and yeah, he just left this year, right? Yep. This was uh, this is it. Um, what was any any sense of what that was like to have someone who had been there for that long? I mean, I, you think of Shashevsky and, and Bayheim, mm -hmm. and there have been some others along the way, but the longevity um, is both good and bad, I would imagine. Sure, because the lack of evolution. I, yes, they're playing in sort of sort of the uh, the NIL game and the um, and the other sort of modern recruiting game, but he was slow to act on most of those things. Um, I, I, I that's the downside. The upside is you have someone who is like a pillar, who is sort of one of the you know, greatest ever, who holds up your institution, holds up your, your who, who prevents Syracuse basketball from going into straight-up mediocrity and being less than and being, you know, one of the sisters of the poor. That's one of, that's one of the worries about sort of a guy like Bayheim, even if he is you know, past his prime, going away, because you know it's it's not easy to keep it up. You know, as Carolina Tar Heels fans, you know, so it's <laughs> it's it's difficult. You know, as Michigan fans, you know, I mean, sure. you know, past uh, Steve Fisher, right? I mean, how long did it take for you guys to get excellent again? It, it was quite a while. Yeah, I mean, you know, Beeline came in and it took a bit because the cupboard was very definitely bare and, and he has a unique, had a unique way of coaching, certainly, and had to get the right players in for him. And that was in a pre-NIL and a pre-transfer portal era, era. So it took a fair amount of time. And then, you know, we've seen, you know, kind of the up and down, the good and the bad, I think, of Jawan Howard for the last several sure. years. Um, and then I think the the final chapter on him is yet to be written. Um, you know, does he kind of rebound and, and bring it back or will he be, you know, seeking a job in the professional ranks in a couple of years? I think, you know, we'll know that after the next season or two. I would expect to be seeking a job. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little surprised he, he's stuck as long as he has. I think guys like, Shashevsky and Beheim are we're not going to see their kind come again and I, I think Juwan Howard's of the world and other folks like Kevin Ali um, uh, you know Calhoun is certainly in, was certainly in that conversation for a while so um, the the newer crew I, I think most of them don't see college basketball as the end all be all 
I think uh, Shishetsky would or Beheim would disagree. Yeah. Well, you look at, I mean, you know, Jay Wright had, you know, the world, you know, on a string. Uh, hmm. probably, probably could do no wrong and could have remained at Villanova for, you know, as long as he wanted to. But something clearly um, gave him pause and a reason to want to move on. And and I I certainly don't consider myself a Villanova fan or a, a keen observer of of that program, but you know a lot of success. But clearly he he wanted to do something different, and and maybe the whole landscape of what college athletics and college basketball in particular looks like is just something that he didn't have an appetite for anymore. Yeah, I think um, I think college athletics are a dirty game. It's always been dirty. And I think it sort of has been amplified. And um, through not just NIL, but a, a, as we sort of deal with the last few years, um, uh, I'd say the last decade or two, as we've sort of gone into this sort of darker sort of um, basically uh where the myth of the scholar athlete has been dis disabused, whether whether we want to say it out loud or not, um, where where we realize that these guys are no longer um, but these are these are businesses, and it's the business of of the the star, and I, I think. Um, for someone who comes up in a world where where you you see your players as scholars or you see your players as sort of secondary to you to deal with now what 15 businesses that your boosters are paying and that they that they have a bunch of other deals that they're they're leveraging their their life this for it it turns the sport into something that it's it wasn't before at least it openly wasn't before yeah i i have no doubt that coaches were paying players we know at least some were for sure and no doubt that they still are and uh, that that i think it goes back a long time ago i mean there's always been stories about you know like $10,000 in a McDonald's bag you know but I, I can see a guy like Jay Wright and other guys like him just being tired of it all. And hey, why not make a million dollars on CBS yakking about it instead? Yeah, no, no kidding. And um, you know, I, I'm I'm encouraged by the fact that we now have a, a some viable options for those you know student athletes coming out of high school who don't necessarily want to focus on the student part of being a student athlete anymore. They just want to be an mm -hmm. athlete. And we now have the opportunity with, you know, the G league and and some other mm -hmm. types of opportunities for them. Uh, you know, I'm still discouraged that the NFL does not have something in place like that because I felt for a long time that, you know, college is not for everyone. If they want to go to college, then please go, you know, but, but also understand that you know, maybe much like, you know, the baseball situation where you, you're, eligible for the draft as you graduate from high school but if you go to college then you're not eligible again for three years um, or whatever the age requirement is at that point I always felt like if the other sports could kind of replicate that and have a true minor league system and if if, if you want to go and, and be a professional athlete go do it if you um, if you prefer to go to school then go do that but let's commit to going to school then for a period of time and and maybe the USFL and the XFL will become something like that for the NFL. I don't know, but maybe there's some potential there with some of the new ownership and some of the visions that they have within those two leagues and that structure. We'll have to see, I suppose. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think uh, I, I also like the hockey system. Yeah. In, in the last couple of years, I've, I've become a bit of a hockey fan for the first time in my life. But uh, I know that they have a draft where they'll dra draft you at 18. The teams will own your rights and you can go to college and you can stay there, you know? And I, I, 
if it were up to me, I would have the team pay the player, you know, a, a percentage and maybe pay for the scholarship too. You know, if you're gonna if you go on the rights, pay for the scholarship and you pay the player not your full boat, but mm-hmm. you know, maybe a slotted salary. And have them, you know, go to college, develop, and in a couple years, you know, you come into the league. Or you go into the minors. I think I don't. I don't know why that couldn't work in football. Or, yeah, it, or or basketball. Yeah, and I love the concept in terms of, you know, perhaps the the professional organization paying for the scholarship. If you because I, you know, we felt for a long time that both the NBA and the NFL are only using NCAA athletics as a minor league system. So then let's you know, remunerate at least the universities, but also if you're going to draft someone and have their rights for the right to hang on to those rights, then that individual should be compensated in some capacity. Nice. I like that. I I mean, if you're king for the day ever, I, I think you've got some good ideas, James. Yeah, I mean, uh, sports czar, well, I mean, it looks like an awesome job. Hopefully I can get it. Uh, you, you, you need to first apply, and then uh, hopefully you can make it through the interview process. But I, I like your chances so far. Um, you referenced hockey. You said you're you're kind of new to the – to the sport in terms of taking an interest is it the sabers or is it someone else that you've uh, taken a shine to it's the sabers yeah i didn't have cable for a long long time and then i found myself in an apartment with cable and i was just flipping around one day during you know during this whole pandemic stuff and I saw this young Sabres team that was awful. And, you know, um, I know they were going through all this drama with Jack Eichel. And I kind of, I kind of, I saw that they fired the coach. And they brought in uh, an assistant coach to be the head coach. And they went on a hot streak. And I was watching the hot streak. And I was like, oh, huh. maybe they'll turn it around. And I just I I started paying attention and watching more, and and I I I've become a bit of a, a budding hockey fan. I mean, it's uh, I I had the benefit yeah. when in my former life as a sports writer, I covered the University of Michigan hockey team mm, for big deal three seasons at the Ann Arbor News back in the what ninety one ninety two ninety three I guess. And that was, I'm a, I'm a kid from Indiana originally, so we didn't have a lot of um, frozen water that we skated on there. We usually would throw up a hoop and, and shoot baskets on the, on the frozen pond if we could. Um, so hockey was not something that was really in my blood either, but um, seeing U of M play and then the wings ascending at that time, the Red Wings ascending at that time, really, um, you know, I, I, I took a, a keen interest in it and it's been, been a dark era here in, in Detroit for about the last six, eight years, but not unlike um, your Buffalo Bills, it became almost, you know, I think you said manifest destiny, that the Wings would qualify for the playoffs, they would make a run, they would at least get to the conference finals, and it just, you know, wash, rinse, repeat, and it happened mm-hmm. every year, and um, very definitely were spoiled in those years, and then the salary cap and the salary, uh, you know, basement came along, and and Detroit had to kind of reconfigure and then aging stars. And the next thing you know, you're in the middle of a rebuild. So. Got to hate that. <laughs> but it'll, it'll come to an end and, and they're on the, seem to be on the, on the, on the uptick again, which is nice. Um, TV Iserman. Yep. Uh, the Iser plan, as we like to call it, believe in the Iser plan. I love it. Yeah. Um, we haven't even touched on baseball, James. Um, you're, uh, Rochester Red Wings still there? Yes, they are still there. And is that still Baltimore? No, no. Who's uh, it? Who is it now? I believe it's the Nationals. Oh, okay. Well, it shows shows how long ago I paid attention to the Red Wings. That that yeah. Red Wing version. Um, but where you're situated is it Mets, Yankees, Blue Jays? None of the above. What what's what's your uh, flavor of the of the day there? I think we're. Uh, I'm I I I'm not a Yankee fan, but I think we're in Yankeeville. Okay. Um. Uh, there's some Mets fans around, but I, I'd say uh, Yankees are are dominant. 
Blue Jays are kind of in the background. Yeah. Because they're really they're just across the lake, right? I mean, yeah. proximity-wise, they're probably as close to you as getting down to the Bronx, maybe? No, no. no? Uh, they're way closer. Well, they're, the Bronx are they're way very, closer? Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, uh, Toronto's much closer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is, again, curious how geography doesn't always dictate who folks may have interest in. Interesting. Um, well, anything else that I should know about your uh, your your sports fandom, James? The only thing that I'll add about baseball is that I'm not I'm not a giant fan. I was a bigger fan as a child than I am now, and I think I think it's because baseball feels so slow. Yeah, and and I know they're working to speed it up now. I haven't watched the game this year, at least not so far. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll look and I'll be enthralled. I'm I'm gonna have an open mind on that, but I I think it's it's sort of faded to the background and stuff like MMA and and you know and and even even golf. You know, and I you know I already mentioned hockey. I've taken you know taking that spot and i even watched nascar more than i watch baseball at this point i don't watch a ton of nascar but i'll watch it here or there so i i i think i am part of the baseball popularity problem that's that's what i'm gonna say yeah well it's interesting you had referenced earlier how listening to the voices on either radio or tv when you were younger you were fascinated by that um i think i'm probably a generation you know, older than you or, or close to it. And that was the same way for me. Um, and you'd live kind of in a, we'll call baseball purgatory, but you're kind of out there in, in the, in the wasteland as it were, without any real significant team. Certainly there are networks, I would think from the Yankees and the, and the Mets that pipe in, but did you spend a lot of time trying to listen to other broadcasts? Were you able to get anything else that would come in? Uh, because it, where I grew up in, in a little town in Indiana, Back in the in the day, most of the baseball teams' broadcasts were on AM radio on these fifty thousand watt blowtorches. Yeah, so we could get we could get the Tigers, we could get the Cardinals on KMOX in St. Louis and Pittsburgh and KDKA. And if things were right, you could get you know certainly you got Cincinnati, you got Cleveland on occasion, Chicago. So you kind of had your pick of the litter. And mm-hmm. you know, I grew up in the seventies, and and the Reds were huge in the seventies, so I became a Reds fan. That was my thing. But in terms of baseball on the radio, did, what, what is that like where you're at? Is it you have the ability to hear anything other than just Mets, Yankees, and Blue Jays, or is that pretty much it? It was it was more limited than that. I would listen to Red Wing games on the radio. Yeah, and I uh, would listen to Yankees games, you know, on the on the radio as well here or there. But for the most part. It, it it sort of was not that tradition was not as strong. Yeah. I I listen to a ton, but I'm a weirdo, a broadcaster nerd guy. So I listen to a lot of, you know, I, I, a lot of basketball on the radio. I used to listen to all sorts of things on our sports stations locally on the radio and all crazy amounts of sports talk, you know. You know, it's real healthy for a eight, nine, ten year old to do. And um, but but yeah, I, I would totally listen to all that stuff. But uh, baseball, like, I think you calling this area a, a, a sort of a wasteland for baseball is pretty accurate. We do love the Red Wings. Um, I support the Red Wings. I, I usually go to at least a few games every year. But and of course, the Batavia Muck Dogs. I love the name. Yeah, but um, but for the most part, I don't think we are one of those gray areas for for baseball, and I think it's just we're not close enough to a team to have like a raving mad Buffalo Bills style or even Buffalo Sabers style fan base yeah. here. 
which reminds me, and, and I know that we were going to bring this to a close, but you know, every now and again, you get another question. You just have to ask um, when the, when the blue Jays played their games mm-hmm. at in, in Buffalo for that season and season. Oh, plus, yeah. um, what was that like um, in the community? Did, did there seem to be a bit of a resurgence is the right word, but, but more interest in the blue Jays because they were now playing in Buffalo. Oh yeah, very much so, and I, and I think especially in in um, in Buffalo, I believe uh, there's sort of. I know there was there, there. There's been long. When they built that stadium that they have in Buffalo, there was hope that it could be expanded into an MLB stadium, and that you could bring baseball to Buffalo. It never quite materialized. Um, lots of reasons for it. I'm sure there. Larger, you know, I think Colorado and uh, Florida Marlins got those teams. And, you know, and Buffalo's not growing like those places were. So, you know, it was cool to to sort of like have this moment where we had Buffalo, Buffalo Blue Jays, you know. And just even if it was just for, you know, a little while. Um, it, it, it was a very cool moment. And, you know, I, I think, I don't know that it caused a resurgence. I think it made us sort of a bit wistful, you know. It would be cool if, if that could happen more often. Yeah. Well, you know, touching on the fact that you're kind of in a, in a wonky spot location-wise for baseball, I've often felt that MLB does a disservice and now that they've balanced the schedule it'd be di- more difficult to do but when they still had those 19 games against your your divisional opponents to take mm-hmm. you know a series or a couple of games of, of that 19 and and go play in your AAA stadiums or go play and you know like they tried to do with going out to um, Omaha and playing a game mm-hmm. there or going to Williamsport and playing the Little League game there you know, take it to places like Wyoming or upstate New York or mm-hmm. um, you know, these other spots where there just is this baseball vacuum. And, and you don't, aside from some independent league teams or some really small minor league teams, you don't have that exposure. Let's let's push into these places and, and give fans the opportunity to see it or, you know, play some play your first series every year at your spring training site, make it a regular season game and kind of you know throw a bone to those folks who support you for six weeks every winter give them some actual major league baseball so that they're not seeing a you know a, a, a carousel of you know single a players you know playing out the stretch um in the in the fifth sixth seventh and eighth and ninth innings but i don't know yeah, again, I think that's a yeah great idea ahead. great idea again if if either of us ever become this the sports czar you know we, we've got plenty of ideas yeah totally uh you can be my deputy I'm I'm down to be deputized. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, hopefully I could be yours. Well, absolutely. We'll we'll both uh, pursue it with a lot of vigor. Um you referenced MMA. I will confess to not having been bitten by the bug at all. I'm I'm not sure that I I ever will, but I, I need to give it a shot if I'm going to continue to purport to be a sports fan. What is the intrigue or the interest for you there? What what makes that something you enjoy? The danger, yeah. The 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 carnage. Um, you know, I, I'm imagining it's it's the appeal to boxing fans, even though I'm not a boxing fan. It's the fact that it's a it's a self contained league, that is sort of that is a you know it's dog eat dog, and um. There, it's a sort of um, battle of attrition. These uh, these uh, specialists sort of taking each other out, and I find it. I find that really cool. I also find the fact that unlike in boxing, it's sort of uh, you have matchmakers that are are you can put the best against the best and see and see it through. It doesn't always work out, but but you, it works out way more there than it does in boxing. Hmm. Okay. Um, also, uh, I 
uh, I enjoy the the mastery that's displayed. And uh, I've, I've enjoyed seeing guys who, who you know, uh, do jujitsu or are, are Olympic wrestlers or, um, you know, or, or are kickboxers sort of have to expand their, their, or judokos have to expand their, their skill set in order to compete in this new world. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. The UFC is great. I have a UFC belt behind me. Um, and um, I, I do enjoy watching um, Bellator as well at times. And I I tried watching bare knuckle boxing. It, that was too much. That's where the line is. Okay. Fair enough. Now that we know where the line is, we will bring this to its rightful conclusion. James, Great. thanks so thanks so much for joining me. No, give me time. I'll come. I'll come back if you want me. Oh, we'd love to have you. Maybe we'll get you next year in the middle of the bill season when we're in full, full on, either panic or, or joyful mode. We'll have to see how it goes, right? Yeah, and maybe a it. maybe a Lions Bill Super Bowl. How would that be? Wow, that sounds fun. You heard it here first in in, in early May two thousand twenty three. Doug's calling a shot. Bills, Lions, Super Bowl. Awesome. Thanks again. No problem. Conversations with Sports Fans is a production of The Sports Fan Project. Our theme music is, fittingly, entitled Wooden Championships by Lobo Loco. Please visit our website at thesportsfanproject.com for more information and to contact us. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with other sports fans you know and invite them to give it a listen.